Love the cases. Love the clauses. Love the adverbs and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM and this morning we have Philippa Gearing of Sunderbug Productions. Hello, Philippa. Hello. It's lovely to have you here. It was great to see you at Chapel FM recently. Yeah, so what did you... what did you think of chapel? I just it's the first time I've been. What an amazing space. I just loved it. I was I came in and I thought what what can I do to spend more time here? <laughs> what, what can I kind of engineer so that I can come back because it's so beautiful. Well, you're very welcome to come back anytime and uh, yeah, it'd be lovely to have you involved. And it was it was a it was a lovely day actually that all or afternoon yeah. that we had. Yeah, so tell us a bit Philippa about Sonderbug, particularly that the name of the the company first of all uh well it's an audio production company that specializes in features and documentaries so spoken words um i don't really know a great deal about music so i steer clear of music and the name sonder it's sonderbug but the word sonder means the realization that everyone has their own story and their own life that's as vivid and complex and convoluted and and everything else as as anyone else. So I was really intrigued by that word and that sort of, for me, epitomizes what the company is about, which is giving people voices, finding the interesting in every story and every person, really, that, that we speak to. And yeah, on the website, it says that the company is particularly grounded and and uh homed if you like in in yorkshire and in and, and in york in particular is that is that is that important to you it obviously is yeah i'm you might be able to tell i'm not from yorkshire <laughs> i'm from uh guildford i was born in guildford which is in surrey which is south of london so it's quite uh it's home counties is quite a long way um and i was really struck when i moved to york about how generally i find the media and radio particularly in this country is very London centric Mm. and very Southern centric. And I hadn't really appreciated that because I was living there and I was from there and and then I moved to London and it sort of all made sense to me. And then you move out of that and you think, hold on a minute, there's a whole wealth of of experience and a whole sort of almost other culture in in England and in the UK more, more widely that isn't being heard and I sort of thought I can play a part in changing that if you know in my own small way so yeah it is really important I think it's a really important thing to do well tell us a little about what you do and about uh yeah the range of of projects that you that you do uh, um well I mean I I I don't really think there isn't anything that you can't I'm going to regret saying this. <laughs> Maybe regret saying this, but I think that there's there's interesting angles and perspectives in in any subject really. And there are some things that I'm probably better at, like the arts and literature and and stuff. But also, you know, I've made programs about psychology and uh, well, climate change, um, even modern slavery and um you know refugees coming over from calais 
so topical stuff as well as timeless stuff um but all at the heart of it is is always really really strong people telling their own stories um which sounds quite a hackneyed phrase actually now but it's it's so important because without that there isn't I mean there isn't anything really I think everybody has their own perspective and we all speak and write and consume from our own perspectives so we need to acknowledge that and listen to others as well absolutely so it's a yeah the 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 sonder word is is very beautiful and i think it's a very much an aptly uh, aptly named a project sonderberg but and and absolutely fits in with what you're talking about and what about your own personal journey in audio how did you how did you get into this and how did you form the the company i i always I mean, it's audio now be- because there's so many sort of podcasts being commissioned and things now. And but when I was, I mean, I'm not that old, but um, I'm I'm nearly forty. I'm forty in February. So when I was uh, at school and university, I was listening to the radio, and there wasn't really much else but the radio. But I was really drawn to speech radio, and it was obviously particularly Radio Four at that time, which was really the king of speech radio. Um, and now that's obviously changed to some extent there's lots of other outlets but at that time that's what I was listening to and and I just couldn't really imagine anything better than working in a place where you're always learning because it's always a different subject that that I might be working on I mean maybe it's a 15 part series but each episode is different and you learn different things and then you work on a completely different subject another series or another program or one-off or whatever it is so you're always learning and you're always speaking to new people and you're not always in the office you're out and about you're recording sometimes you know in the Calderdale Valley sometimes in Newcastle sometimes dare I say in London you know so all over the place which which is brilliant like you get out and about not all the time but all of those things really attracted me so I really tried to get into radio to uh to to basically work in a, in a field where I thought you're always learning and always interested. And it, did you or did you work in other in other companies or was it did you form, always yeah yeah, yeah. How, how did that happen for you? To, 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 it's quite a big step to, to 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 found your own company. So what how, what was your journey to that? Um, well, there's a lot of there was a lot of trying and trying again. I did work experience. I, when I was working in London, I used all of my annual leave to do work experience and then got that onto my belt and then got my first job in the BBC, which wasn't in anything to do with radio, but then you have access to internal vacancies. So then I moved across to another job, which wasn't in production, but was at Radio 4. So you kind of get, you, by iterations, you get closer and closer. And then I left and went to an independent company, which was sort of a it was just really varied the range of programs so we're doing scripted comedy scripted drama we were doing factual we're doing music so that was that wealth I think was was paid in a different way and then I moved a- across to another company and it's sort of the company hopped for a while I wasn't in any job for more than two two or three years and then just basically built up experience and knowledge knowledge of copyright law knowledge of libel knowledge of how to to interview knowledge of how to record all of this stuff and then it got to the point where I 
I had a young family and um, my husband was working in York. We were living in Bristol, <laughs> which was a bit bizarre. And we just said, well, we've got to all be in the same place. So I had no choice but to freelance and then set up my own company, really, because there wasn't anything else for me in the space. Wonderful. So d let's move on to In Our Element, because this is a series that you've made at Sonderbug, and we're really looking forward to to broadcasting the series uh, on Love the Words, uh, beginning uh, probably in the new year. And um, it, it, it's absolutely, well, right on the, the nozzle at the moment for, in terms of uh, climate change. It's, a, it's, 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 and it's fascinating. It also ties in for us. It's obviously very much about poetry and the way that poets respond to the current climate crisis. Tell us about In Our Element and how it came about for you. Well, it's really the brainchild of Linda France, who is the poet very much at the forefront of the whole series and her poetry as well. She's the climate writer in residence um, at New Writing North, the writing development agency based in Newcastle and also Newcastle University. So it's a dual um, writing in residency. And she wanted to have a greater reach for the work that she was doing, thinking about climate change and how poets and writers have a part to play or how really everybody has a part to play in thinking about the climate emergency um so i work with new writing north quite a lot i really love that organization they're fantastic and so we sort of started talking about a series and managed to get some arts council funding and also audio content fund money as well to make it because it's quite it's quite substantial there's it's quite a lot of minutes of of audio and a lot of different interviews but um the thing that we were and Linda particularly was really aware of and I increasingly became aware of was how complicated and interconnected the climate emergency issues are you know that's water that's um you know rising global temperatures that's um you know uh, mining for precious metals all of these things are really really closely connected but they're all very different as well and quite complicated so that's why we chose the structure of shorter episodes they're 20 minutes and they're and it's broken down into different elements to try and make it I hope a bit more comprehensible and digestible um, but also you do get a sense of how everything is connected um, and and I hope also what part we can play absolutely and it's a as I say we're really looking forward to to putting the, all those episodes out on Love the Words in the future. And it, yeah, it is a, it's a complex, rich series uh, with lots of interviews with lots of different different writers and poets. And yeah, tell us a little about what you've done with New Writing North in the past. <coughs> Sorry, got a frog in my throat. Um, <laughs> well, it's a, a few different, quite a few different projects. They knew that they wanted to, they were aware of, of podcasts and they were, wanted to kind of get into that space but didn't necessarily know how to go about it um and I was starting the business actually around then and so it sort of was quite a good a good time for us to meet I've done um a few different series which you know one was about uh, thinking about new narratives of the northeast you know away from the kind of it's it's all about coal it's grim up north 
thinking differently and, and writers responding to that sort of writing prompt. And it was a series that really explored that, which was really fun and really interesting and involved recording on Hadrian's Wall and, you know, all sorts of places, which was really cool. Um, but they do lots of different projects and they're all really kind of of the moment in the sense that there are issues that are really important for us to be thinking about, whether that's, you know, the place of working class writers uh, in publishing in the UK, or if that's about new narratives of the Northeast, or if that's about climate change, you know, and what, why we need to be thinking about that and how we can't bury our heads in the sand. So Philippa, any new projects that you're working on at the moment, things coming up with Sonderberg? Um, yes, there's always a few irons in the fire. Um, <laughs> what have I got on the... Well, um, I'm not sure I can talk about some of them. No, that's very enough. I understand. <laughs> I've just finished a series about deepfake pornography, which shows the range. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with deepfake technology, but it's mm. it's where um, a video can be manipulated using artificial intelligence so that one person's face appears on the body of another person. Yeah. And the principal place where this gets used is on pornography. And that series was fascinating because it's not just about this cutting edge technology and, and actually that technology is so good now that you can you could actually be deep faked live. You could you could be watching somebody on a Zoom call or FaceTime and actually talking to somebody else than the face that you're seeing, mm. which is terrifying. Yeah. But also that obviously involves a lot of gender issues and thinking about um, the way that the pornography is seen and how it is a very gendered issue and how women's bodies are perceived um, and the naked woman's body is perceived in society and those sorts of things. So it, it brings up all sorts of really interesting stuff. Um, so I'm enjoying that. So uh, when and where why, uh, might we hear that? It's a Hodder Studio podcast and it's not actually got a, a broadcast and not broadcast. It hasn't got a publication date yet, I'm afraid. So I, I don't know, but soon, <laughs> soon. <laughs> well, it's very to tantalise you. No, I can't it's actually right. do it. It's very tantalising, but no, it sounds absolutely <laughs> fascinating. So thanks ever so much, Philippa, for talking to us. And uh, and yeah, we'd love to work with you at Sonderberg. Oh, that would be brilliant. Do, uh, on other things. So whatever you can do, yeah, come, come, let, let's talk soon. Come over to Chapel FM again. And uh, yeah, be lovely, lovely to meet up and chat. So, and, and yeah, as I say, um, we will be broadcasting all the episodes of In Our Element. Uh, with Linda France. Thank you. I'm uh, really delighted they're going no, out. No, well, thank you too. Really, really, really pleased to be hosting them and that'll be from the new year. So, yeah, thanks, Philippa, and uh, have a very good day. Thank you, you too. Love the nouns. Love the pronouns. Impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Jesus. 
So in 20 minutes or so, we're going to be hearing from Anne from a fascinating organisation in Leeds called Cards or Die. Board games out there in the community doing stuff, um, getting people talking to each other, getting people uh, thinking. But in the meantime, I was talking in that interview with Philippa there from Sonderbug about uh, broadcasting in our element, this fascinating new series she's been working on with Linda France uh, in the future, next year. Well, it is the future, it is next year now, and we're actually going to hear the first episode of In Our Element, a poet's inquiry into climate change. In Our Element, a poet's inquiry into climate change. In Boris Johnson, we are four friends living in Northumberland who feel very concerned about climate change and the environment. Episode 1, Introduction. We are aware that you will be concentrating on coronavirus a lot, but climate change is still extremely important. During the first lockdown, you wrote a letter. You got together with some of your friends and wrote a letter to Boris Johnson about climate change. I don't think I would have been able to do that if it was just me on my own. Yeah. But having friends doing it made me feel like I was sort of part of a team. Right. Mm -hmm. We weren't just doing something weird and unusual, but other people people agreed with us and were doing the same thing as us. Yeah, so that gave you confidence. Mm -hmm and courage, the thing that you asked Boris Johnson to have. Climate change is real. We've messed up a lot, but we can fix it. You need to help too, because you are our Prime Minister. You are our leader. Climate change matters, and you have a big part to play in helping everyone to wake up to the ways that climate change is affecting our planet. Please pluck up the courage to take action. Listen Listen to to us. We are the future. Yours sincerely. Leah, age 11, Freya, age 10, Grace, age 11, and Una, age 9. That's really impressive. And beautifully written. I'm Linda France. I'm a poet who cares a great deal about the health and balance of ecological systems. For this series, I've chosen to go back to the elements as a way of talking about climate change, with poets and musicians, thinkers and activists, making an unmanageable subject manageable, remembering what is important what we need to not just stay alive, but to thrive. What helps us to be in our element? 1986, I was in my late 20s then, living in the countryside, growing our own vegetables, and we had hens and bees, and that's where my children were born. The point when I wrote this poem, we didn't have electricity. We just had oil lamps and a big ray burn. So we lived a very, very simple life, very close to the elements. So in 1986, there was an accident at a nuclear power station in Chernobyl in Ukraine, and the air was blowing westwards. So potential radiation and pollution was coming towards us in this country, but nobody quite knew. 
It's a little bit like climate change. You can't touch it, you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't taste it. So it's happening, but it's an invisible threat. So my children were very small, and as a mother, I was very protective and very frightened about what was happening. As a young mother with a baby now, might also be frightened about climate change. So I wrote this poem, Elementary, for Rufus. I ask my son what he knows of earth, of properties of metal, the rings in the heart of wood, what shapes he can trace in air, how deep is the blue of water. Remind him to take care with fire. He has a dangerous fondness for fire, my son, learning the lessons of earth. Knows magnets are science, metal, observes their attraction through water. He's aware that a kite and he needs air. The paper he'd miss so much is wood. We scramble hand in hand through the wood near our house, feeling the damp earth spring under our feet, the lapping of water in the silence. The cold air makes him cough, so we go home to the fire, welcomed by kettles singing metal. His toys are plastic. Mine were metal with sharp corners. They rusted in water. Now the fashion's back for wood, carved and painted trains, trucks and fire engines. Things have changed. This earth I thought I knew and love is mutable as air. My son was four the year the air blew from the east, poisoned by fire, a fire kindled with no wood. The smell of my sweat was metal. We couldn't trust rain, milk or earth, were afraid to drink the water. He loves to play in water, and I to watch him in the tenuous air of summers. I lean against knotted wood by the river glinting metal, as certain as flames in fire were held in the breath of earth. I pray to the gods of air, goddesses of wood and water, that he'll be saved from fire and save like precious metal all he knows of earth. In North America, the poet Jory Graham, whose work has been concerned with ecological awareness for many decades, has lately been writing from the perspective of becoming a grandmother. Anybody listening here who has a grandchild, grandchildren, children, who has children who one day will have children. It's almost like we have to close the door, put our hands over our face, walk away from it all and go, I can't download this because it will make me insane. Life is difficult enough as it is. It's, life sure is. Being able to stay productive and present 
and loving and human is an enormous task, let alone trying to imagine the life that your grandchild might have awaiting it. It's nearly soul destroying to watch a young person who has all the goodwill and the excitement, the willingness to be human. They've just been incarnated. They've just been brought down through somebody's body as a soul and put into flesh and put on the earth. And they look at the earth when they're that little and they go, it's the most exciting place in the world. And it is the world. And you think all of this capacity in all of these new children born all over the globe, what matters is that there's a world for them to carry on the human project in. I'm not the only grandmother looking at their grandchild and looking at the fires, the smoke and the flooding and and the overpopulation and the the reduction of resources and the enormous injustice. I've been thinking about climate change for most of my adult life, but having this child, it opened up an expanse into the 30s and 40s and 50s of this century, which was like a horror movie to me. I spoke, too, to Nigeria-born, UK-based poet, playwright, and performer Inua Elams. I went to this TED Talk years and years ago in London. There was a Ugandan politician, and he talked about how he approaches politics as a grandfather. And that was his opening statement, which baffled all of us in the audience. And he said that, essentially, when he makes a decision... He expects that the repercussions will not be felt by him or his children or his grandchildren. So he makes long-term decisions in their best interest, which completely changes his approach to everything because he's not looking for immediate outcomes. He's not looking for certainties. He's thinking far into the future and it's all full of possibilities. And all he's concerned with is how can I make those possibilities as kind to children who are not even alive yet. How can I create a safe space for them with the little that I do know now? And I think it is a radically different way of thinking. Anybody listening to this who has seen the joy in their grandchild's face and who has worried about their future, which is probably everyone on the planet, um, and probably for most generations, you know, people have worried about, will my children be okay when I'm no longer here? And what will my grandchildren or great-grandchildren have for them? Uh, we used to create, we used to save, and we used to prepare a world for the future of our peoples, our families, our tribes, our species. We tend to be living so much in the present that we don't do that. Different ages classes, ethnicities and genders have different viewpoints on the climate crisis. Exploring the elements allows us to find common ground. Like nature, climate change isn't just one thing. It is a chimera, a hyper-object, a super-wicked problem, an entanglement of kin. I asked Inua Elams as a Londoner, about the vantage point of a free-range city dweller. There are people who are absolutely at the forefront of these conversations and they are leading the conversation. There are those who are trying to build rooms so these conversations can be had in. 
There are those who have no clue what is happening and don't care that they don't have any clues. And a lot of who they are and why they are and why they care or don't care sit across racial and class and generational lines. And it's, it's a heady mix of everything. I think generally urban dwellers are divorced from the natural world. And unfortunately, because of how fast paced the city is, communication organizations and companies here take advantage of that. And we're not stilled enough to make big societal changes where we do something that makes a lasting impact. It's quite easy to be distracted. I wish we had village mentalities. I wish we we lived in a time where civil rights leaders were still listened to and could still command the attention. What I tell myself and I often tell my students is, would I want to be alive at any other time in history? And the answer to that is, however difficult, no. This is the most exciting moment in history that I can imagine because it's a moment where we have an opportunity that is unique and unparalleled, which is to save the entire project that the human has put forth by perhaps awakening to some of its most nefarious aspects and changing ourselves, reorienting the ship. We have an astonishing opportunity. We are uniquely equipped. We have millions of like-minded people and it is actually quite privileged to be alive now and to be asked these kinds of questions. Having a grandchild and witnessing her waking up into the world and growing up is something that breaks something open inside you. It's another thing to enlarge and enliven the imagination. I wonder, Jory, whether this might be a good place for you to read the poem that you mentioned called Why? It, obviously, everyone who's had a grandchild or a child knows that phase they go through and no matter what you say, they say, why? Why? You ask me again, why putting your tiny hand on the not yet unsheathed bud on the rhododendron and I see I need to be sky, I need to be soil. There are no words for why that I can find fast enough. Why? you say at the foot of the cherry's wide blossom fall. Is it dead now? Why did it let go? Why, tossed out into what appears to be silence, when I say, let's run, the rain is starting? Why are we lost? Why did we just leave where we just were? Why is Everything so far behind now. As we go on, I see you think, when you reach me again to ask, why? When I say, are you coming now? And you say, no. I want to stay. I want things to stay. I do not want to come away from things. What is this we are entering? Me taking your hand now to speed our going as fast as we can in this suddenly hard rain. Your hand not letting go of the rose pebble you found 
feeling the first itching of personal luck as you now slowly pocket it, thinking you have taken with you a piece of what you could not leave behind. It is why we went there and left there. It is your why. It's about this pocketing of this pebble that you take it out of nature and put it into your inwardness, into your mind or your pocket, and you take it with you. And that's the way you survive your relationship to mortality and time. Something natural in us, but which leads us to the problems that give rise to a program such as this one today. Why are we talking about these things? Because our reaction to the people that we were when we were in the cycles of time was to step out of circular time and into linear time in which systems accrual, capitalism, materialism, consumer substitution of desire. This poem is ultimately an exploration of desire and what how you end up wanting the desire to become personal and internal because you can't express the loss you feel of the relationship that you would have had with the tree or the rhododendron. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so much of what you say is carried by that repeated why. So it becomes not just a question, but also a reason and part of that cycle that you describe. Avoiding climate breakdown will require cathedral thinking. We must lay the foundation while we may not know exactly how to build the ceiling. Sometimes we just simply have to find a way. The moment we decide to fulfil something, we can do anything. I'm sure that the moment we start behaving as if we were in an emergency, we can avoid climate and ecological catastrophe. That's Gwen, reading from one of Greta Thunberg's speeches. As part of the school strike for climate and Fridays for the future, Una and Freya wrote a song for the global climate strike of September 2019. So did you strike yourselves? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we went to most of the strikes. On the one in which we sung, our whole school went because our head teacher's really passionate about climate change and right. so we all went on a school trip to the climate strike uh -huh. and me and Freya sung the song at that one. Yeah, and what did that feel like? It felt like we had a lot of power and a lot of people, although like a big group of high school kids and, and adults with like toddlers and stuff. It was very like exciting, but also kind of nerve-wracking. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's quite scary being yeah. in front of all those people and having, yeah. you have power, but with power comes responsibility, yeah. doesn't it? We're striking, we're striking.
you heard Freya on piano and Una on guitar. The song In Our Element was set to my words and performed by Joshua Green. The series is presented by me, Linda France. It is a Sonderbug production with New Writing North, supported by the Audio Content Fund and Arts Council England in association with Newcastle University. Thank you for listening. Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And I'm here in Studio 2 at Chapel FM talking to Anne from an extraordinary organisation. I'm really looking forward to hearing all about Cards or Die. So, yeah, Anne, tell us about Cards or Die. What do you what do, you do first of all? OK, so Cards or Die is um, a board game and events uh, company, basically. So um, I run... I'm a... I'm self-employed, I run the business, and I um, basically take board games all over the place to all different sorts of events and try and get people mixing and playing together and socialising together. And that's the that's kind of the baseline of what it is. Um, obviously, over COVID, there were no events, really. I did a few online things, but um, because most of my business is about getting people face-to-face and getting people interacting... They weren't as successful, which was probably quite predictable, really. Um, and so I ended up picking up quite a lot of rule book work for board games. So proofreading rule books, writing rule books, that sort of thing. So moving forward, I'm hoping now to do a mixture of events and also to do a little bit of uh, rule book work. When you say rule book, yeah, what do you mean by rule book work? So when you get your board game and you unpack it all, there's always a book of rules in there that teaches you the game. Um, before I started the business, I was a teacher. I'd been a teacher for 17 years, and I was an English teacher at secondary school. So I'm kind of uniquely placed, really, because I can teach the games quite easily. I find that uh, really enjoyable and quite easy. Um, but it means as well that when someone sends me a rule book that's not maybe as clear as it could be, or perhaps, you know leaves you with lots of questions I can kind of cut through that and I know about board games and I know about communication and written word so I can put those skills together and and make a rule book that's that's accessible that sounds right just a thing for me because I I I always say to my family oh I don't like board games I don't like games Actually, I'm just a bit afraid of seeming really stupid because I don't understand the rules. Yeah, and I think that's really common. I think that's really common. And I think one of the things I often get at events, I'll, I'll do, I do quite a few in pubs. And often at the beginning of the evening, people who have not come for board games night but just happen to be in the pub will be a bit reticent and a bit kind of sometimes can come across a little bit rude, actually, because you say, oh, would you like some games? And like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't do that, you know, kind of. <laughs> but actually, I think they're just a bit uncomfortable. And often those same people 
you know, 20 minutes later or see someone playing with maybe Connect Four or like a game they remember from when they were kids and they'll, they'll kind of be like, oh, can, can we maybe have that game next? And you're like, yeah, of course you can, you know, or or they'll, they'll pick something up and they'll be like, oh, what's this? And it's something interesting or different for them. And I think sometimes people feel like either you shouldn't be playing games because you're an adult or... You like you say you don't know. You see games that are new that look a bit intimidating, and I think that's that's my role really to to kind of introduce people to the game and say, look, I can get you playing it in the next few minutes, and then we can muddle through as you know and work it out as we go along, sort of thing. Yes, I think I feel maybe I, I'm not alone, but yes, it's that uh, feeling I'm going to look stupid because I haven't. I find it quite hard to follow instructions. I'm not very mm. good at following instructions. I have a, if some particularly verbal ones. Somebody, you know, somebody tells me how to do something. I have to go. Can you either show me or could yeah. you tell me again? Whereas some people are very great. I mean, they're very good at just picking up. So yeah, for yeah. me, it's about that. I'm wondering whether that's on that hostility um, might be about. You know, just being a bit afraid of looking yeah, stupid. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, because I was a teacher for so long, I can usually pick up on things like that. So if I'm teaching a game, I'll know when I've lost someone. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you know that either you've lost them because actually they don't really want to play that game anymore. Now you've started explaining, oh, actually, I don't like the sound of it. So I'm always very much like, if you hate it, put it away. There's life short do you know what I mean let's not spend an hour playing a game that we hate out of politeness like we're just there's loads of others we'll put it away and also sometimes what I'll do is I'll either sit with them and play the first round or I'll kind of say right you do that shout me over when you're going to do the next bit so I'll just literally just get you doing something because I think as soon as you're doing and moving bits and touching stuff your brain's more engaged anyway, isn't it? And so you're going to learn it faster. And then, you know, and there's some games where I'll say, you know, when you're about to score, call me back over because that bit's a bit tricky. And I know that if I go through the how to score bit, when I've only just gone through which card you can play in what order, they'll just go, I can't be bothered. (laughs) So, yes, I mean, how did you get into this because it's you know it seems an extraordinary wonderful job to have if you like called board games but you presumably you've always played board games did you play as a child and family um yeah as a child I played a lot um and then I think um through later teenage years kind of drifted away and didn't didn't perhaps play games and then then picked it up again and then as I got older there were more there was more and more choice because I think when we were little there was there was not so much choice of games as there is now. There wasn't so much stuff, was there? You know, there wasn't so much choice of anything as there is now. And I think, you know, for children and for adults, there's so much choice of board games. Um, so, yeah, I kind of always dipped in and out of it. And, um, and, I mean, I was looking for an alternative to teaching. And at the time, there were a lot of board game cafes popping up all over the place. And I, I kind of looked at that. But I decided I'd rather do something that was more kind of pop up, really, and more ad hoc um, to suit my lifestyle and things as well. Um, And so initially, the idea was I would just do a kind of pop up board game cafe at different venues. And it kind of grew. And the things that I was interested in, like the kind of community side of it and the kind of social isolation side of it grew and I realised that it can make a real difference to people. And and that nostalgic element of playing games that you played as a child is really appealing to people. 
and and sometimes I've got a really big collection of um, retro and vintage games. I don't really like calling them that. The games I played as a kid, so they still feel fairly current. I mean, but apparently they're vintage. So I always bring some of those with me, and I think sometimes what people will do is they'll pick up a box like I've got sorry for instance and someone picked that up and they were like oh I used to play with my sister with this she used to hate it I always used to beat her and we chatted about his sister and you know the games he used to play and he took a photo of it I'm going to send it to her and then he put it down and then he said what do you recommend and I recommended a different more modern game and he played that but I think that memory and that connection and that chat is just as important a part of it. Mm. And do you? So now you set up you set up the company, which is a big. But I don't know if there are other companies like yourself. Um, I think the nearest is like um, the board game cafes. Really, mm. I, I would think. But yeah. you're using these for much more of a. Well, I mean, obviously they have a social. The board game cafes have a social is, is, is the main thing but it seems to me that for you it's it's more than that somehow it's a, I mean where, where do you, where do you take your your games what sort of settings um so at the moment my bookings have picked up again so I have a booking at uh, the King's Arms in Horsforth I've one at the Holbeck one at Horsforth Brewery um I'm working with the community in welcoming community center at um Cookridge and working with them and we've been doing a bit of fundraising and we've got enough to do three more events with them and that'll include food as well um and then I've got one coming up at Hyde Park Book Club and I've Mm. got um I've got a few different different ones um I'll have forgotten someone in there oh Le Chalet in town Mm. um Le Chalet is the only one that's ticketed and where you pay um because you get a meal with it and it's just a bit of a different one I try and always have some that are free entry because I think then there isn't a barrier, there isn't a a reason not to go, you know. And I always try and encourage people to go, you know, if they're on their own or, you know, that sort of thing. So how does an event work? So you might, you might just go into a place like Chapel FM, for instance, and people have signed up to come and you just have a load of games that people can choose from or do you, is it more structured than that? Um, it depends what people want. So mostly I do it the way that you've just described. So I bring a load of games and then I chat to people and see what they've played before, maybe what they might like to play. And then I'll recommend a game and, and teach them a game. Or sometimes people like to just, you know, take a game that they know and play that. And that's fine too. Um, so you usually do it in quite an open way. But I've done like um, corporate, like team building things mm-hmm. um, where obviously that's been much more structured uh, and it depends, really. I've done like a little, did a little tournament one time. I've done all sorts of different things, and and so sometimes there's a bit more structure. Mm. But yeah. Uh, and yeah, what what are your what are your personal favourites in terms of getting people to interact? Maybe people who don't know each other so well. Um. So this this loads it's really hard so it depends very much on the group so there's there's ones that are like um so i've got one called yogi which is really funny and really silly and it's very quick to learn and you basically do the action that's on the card and it's a bit like twister so it'll say this card on the back of your right hand and you balance the i'm doing it with my hands that's helpful great for radio (laughs) you balance the card on the back of your hand and then if it falls off you lose 
But then you pick another card and that might be this card like touching left eyebrow. So you, you're drawing cards without dropping the cards that you're balancing. So it's a bit like Twister, it's funny. Um, so that's quite a good one. But then that depends. Some people find that a bit embarrassing or a bit awkward. It just depends. Um, so I've got cooperative games as well where you play um, as a team together. So I've got one called Magic Maze where you have to steal objects in a shopping mall and you have to work together as a team to steal them. But you've got to play in silence. So each of you has an action that you can do. So I might be in charge of going left and you might be in charge of going right. And we have to work together, but without talking. So it's really kind mm. of intense. And that's quite good because it's quite an immersive game. So you're kind of in it and then you don't... You just mean you, you kind of... You, yeah, you're in it and I don't know. It's, it's good that when you kind of experience it as well as playing it. I think it's interesting how board games work because I think sometimes, I mean, you know, I, like most families uh, are dysfunctional in their different ways. <laughs> but I'm thinking of Christmas in our, in our family. We have a lot of various aunts and uncles and, you know, sisters and brothers, uh, you know, if, if my wife you come along. And, and quite often, the, the, you know, it's quite awkward in some ways. And yet when we play a board game, it suddenly comes, everybody sort of either regresses to being about five years old in the nice way. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. But it's just, it's a structure in which we can be playful. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. it. It provides just a bit of a structure, doesn't it? And yeah. I think for people who are maybe a bit nervous or maybe can't always think of things to chat about, mm. it's quite good because actually what happens is when you remove that pressure to chat, so you don't have to chat, you're just playing a game, yeah. actually they will chat. Yeah. Whereas... If you just said, oh, sit on this table of people and we're all going to have a nice chat, some people will find that quite challenging. And actually, because yeah. you're like, oh, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I don't know what to talk to these people about. And it gives you a focus. But it gives you a role as well. It's like mm. a kind of yeah, sort of avatar. You know, you can yeah. play Monopoly and it's not you that's being this really ruthless sort of, well, it is you. But, it's, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. you're, you're almost playing the part of somebody who is that way or if you're being have to be stupid and silly in the game that's yeah. not you but it gives you a kind of mask to play with yeah I think that's yeah. I think that's a really good point yeah yeah and like last night at the King's Arms there was some people playing fire in the library which is a push your luck game so you're trying to save books from the library and stop them from burning and you're pulling cubes out of a bag basic on a very basic level you pull, pull cubes out of a bag and if you get a red cube that's fire and if you get two of those you set your books on fire so People will pull the first red cube and then you, there's this kind of, oh, do I get another cube to it? And listening to people play, that is quite joyful as well mm. because you can hear them going, ah, oh, you know, that kind of, you know, the sound effects that go with that kind of pushing your luck element are good fun. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, yeah go sorry, on. I was going to say quiz games are always really, really popular. I brought one. Mm. I brought one. I brought Shot in the Dark, which was designed by a Leeds couple. Do you want to have a go at a question? Yeah. <laughs> go on, this is... Right, this is the Christmas edition. So basically, Shot in the Dark works because the, the questions are all kind of bizarre and on one level quite difficult. So you are kind of guessing, making an educated guess as your answer, and the person who gets the closest wins. Yeah. So, yeah. so I haven't looked at the answers, so... Uh, do they know it's Christmas by Band-Aid? Oh, I'm on the answer side, aren't I? Oh, 
I was just thinking there's no question mark. And the answer gone. is... And the answer is, do they know it's Christmas by Band-Aid? <laughs> Dreadful. Oh, dear. Right, OK. Oh, I've, I've done that one with the kids. I'll move on. How much gold would it have cost to buy 100 grams of gold, frankincense and myrrh on Christmas Day 2019? So how much would it have cost to buy 100 grams of gold, frankincense and myrrh on Christmas Day 2019? I don't know how much 100 grams of gold is. Oh, no, I'm going to say £1,000. I'd say, I'd say £5,000. Oh, right. Three thousand seven hundred thirty-three. Oh. So you were closest, <laughs> and then it always tells you a little bit extra, which I like in quiz games that do that. So you can buy a hundred grams of frankincense and myrrh on Amazon for less than twenty pounds each. So this is mainly due to the price of gold. So there you go, um, you learnt a thing. And this is a couple in Leeds. <laughs> yeah, designed they designed this. this. So they've done shot in the dark. Yeah. There's a second edition, and then this is the Christmas one. That's interesting because I suppose Leeds has quite a tradition, what with Waddington's, of, of games. Uh, massive, yeah, yeah, massive. Are there others? Um, oh, now you're asking. There will be. Yeah. Oh, there is. There's paper boat games. Mm. Um, and they have just done a game that finished on Kickstarter and I've forgotten the name. That's half a story, isn't it? Sorry. That's all right. No, no, that's maybe you want to <laughs> it look into it. really good. Yeah, it but this is really Shot in the Dark. Oh, we can advertise dark. that. Yeah. That's maybe, yeah, Shot it's, in the Dark. It's really good fun. And yeah. I think because it's, because the questions are so out there, you don't feel stupid when you get it wrong. Because it, it is a guesstimate, do you know what I mean? That's so good, yeah. It's fun with a big group of people as well. If you all go round and have a little guess and people argue and discuss it and laugh down, at each other's answers, you know, that kind of thing. Right, so it's it's a nice one. Now, yeah, it's good, it's down. good. So I'll just go to that company. Obviously, start with the question side. Don't read the answers out first. <laughs> that would be my do it in reverse. That would be interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? Make up the question oh. that goes with this answer. Absolutely. But anyway, I mean, cards or die, obviously, it's, it's your... It's yeah, that's your job now. It yeah. must be a very unusual, rare kind of job to do. It definitely is. I sometimes say to people, it's like you know, people say, "Do you enjoy your job?" And I say, "Well, I made my job up." So yeah, yeah I just, <laughs> if you make up your own job and then do it, I think you would enjoy it, wouldn't you? You would indeed, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And I, 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 as you say, I think. It's an all-age thing, isn't it? I was mm. in the Chemic uh, pub last night and uh, my son was playing some music in there and uh, there are there are young people playing board games in mm. there and, you know, I've been in a couple of Wednesday nights because it's the Irish music night and, and there they are, you yeah. know, playing these games and it's like they don't, they're not thinking oh, it's making, you know, only children play games. They're no. perfectly happy doing that. Older people are. It does seem to, do you think it is a... Uh, yeah, it appeals to all kinds of people. Yeah, definitely. More and more, I think that's yeah. that's increasing. Yeah. And do you think board games also? I mean, is it are they? Is it just a very British or European thing? Uh, is it? Is it? What about? Do they play board games in Madagascar, for instance? I mean, um, there's a massive in America and Canada. There's yeah. masses yeah. of board gaming, um, and I know in some African countries, um, board gaming is massive. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah, it's. I think worldwide, it's it's you know grown and and I think with the growth of technology and things, people want something where they can 
interact with something physically and you know move the tokens and touch mm. the things and and be in a space and be absorbed in something instead of everything being through a screen i and think people it's you know sitting around doing it it's a lovely yeah. lovely group thing as you say it is yeah and uh, yeah i mean i love moving i mean i used to love those war games like Buccaneer, I think it was called. Oh, Do you yeah. remember that we had a little yeah, boat little, and you yeah. and sort of little bits of treasure and you moved them across the sea and you had to raid each other's boats? Yeah, I, I didn't have that. that one, but yeah, I've yeah. heard of it. And there was one, another war game. What was it called with Napoleon's armies? And was it campaign? Yeah, yeah, campaign. I've got that. That's good. Oh, I used to play that with my yeah. brother-in-law for hours. I, had, I mean. Put, Poor chap, he probably had no choice. <laughs> I was about eight, but yeah. Well, someone's just given me a massive, like, carload full of vintage games. There's some wow. amazing ones in there, but in there was Axes and Allies, which is similar yeah. to Campaign. I, to be honest, not my not my cup of tea. Takes yeah. far too long. But my son and my husband played it the other week for hours, and they got through, like, two rounds. So they, they yeah. took photos of the board because they had to put it away because it was taking up loads of room. So <laughs> they took photos of the board so when they set up next time, they can set up there and take it from there. So <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd, they'd have to be playing games in your household, I guess. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's yeah. One, it's wonderful to speak to you, Anna. Thanks very much Thank for coming you. on. I uh, love the words. And Yeah, so if people want to get a hold of you to, to, yeah, to sort of hire you, really, and, yeah. and some games and a day or whatever that you, you offer, then, yeah, well, how do they do that? Um, so I'm on all of the social media so twitter facebook instagram at cards or die um people can email me that's cards or die at gmail.com and i've got a website as well which is um cards or die.com and that's uh if you subscribe on there i do a monthly newsletter with all my local events on i'm mm. pretty sure when i listed them earlier i'll have forgotten someone oh, okay. <laughs> that's the can, way of it we can go on but briefly cards or die i mean it's not just cards is it it's board games yeah and, but why cards or die because of the singular die. Oh, yes. very good. Yeah, and got point, that. So it does oh, fit with the word. Absolutely <laughs> does. I love the word. Smooth. Yeah, very good. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Thanks ever so much. Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. Per amarti. No, no, Lita. Per uscire.